Welcome to Mosaic Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Mosaic Church Leeds, based in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information on Mosaic Church, please visit mosaic-church.org.uk. Thank you for listening. As part of a series that we've been doing here at Mosaic called Big Questions of Faith, we've been attempted to, I guess, start some conversations surrounding some issues which... I guess often stop people from either becoming a Christian or if you're a Christian, cause Christians to doubt or distrust God. And we've nearly finished this series. We are fast approaching Advent and our Christmas carol service on uh, the 1st of December. But today we're tackling, I think, we sh- uh, w- one of the questions that I think is probably most applicable to us in the room, and that is, what do I do with my doubts? Often... We ignore our doubts for whatever reason when we as if you're a Christian and have doubts about the Christian faith, we pretend we don't struggle. We struggle to talk about them. I struggle with doubts and sometimes those doubts hit me every day. And I don't feel like I share much to others about the doubts that I have. And my guess is we in general don't talk about our doubts very much. I think we fear sharing our doubts because when you come to something like this and look around, everyone seems to have got it sussed. Everyone seems to have this perfect like relationship with God where he they hear him speak to them all the time. They always seem to be in love with him and talking in that way. And sometimes you can feel like the only person in the room that doesn't necessarily feel like that or know God in that way. So Doubt is so common in the Christian life. And I guess I want to say, I don't think you can be a Christian or at the very least a thinking Christian without experiencing some sort of doubt. So what's going on here? Well, I think there are three categories of doubt that I'm talking about tonight. Number one uh, is intellectual doubts. So these are questions that we ask like, is the Bible the word of God? Or was Jesus the son of God? Or did Jesus really rise from the dead? If it's not an intellectual doubt, then sometimes we have spiritual doubts. Is there a God? Am I really a Christian? Why doesn't God answer my prayers? Why do I still feel guilty? And my, the thing that I struggle with in terms of spiritual doubts is the question, am I making this all up? You know, sometimes I just get the feeling like I've just deluded myself somehow. And Danny and me are sharing that same doubt. So hopefully that goes wider. And probably the largest category of doubt that I'm aware of is circumstantial. This encompasses all the whys of life. Why did that typhoon kill so many in the Philippines? Why did my marriage break up? Or why can't I find a husband or wife? Or why did my friend betray me? Or why did my uncle do those things to me? And in my experience, those are some of the toughest doubts of all. And so listen, non-Christian or Christian here tonight, all of us have doubts. Some of them are spiritual, some of them are intellectual, and some of them are circumstantial. All of us, all of us have doubts. And so the question really is, what should we do with them? Like, what should we do with the doubts that we all have? Do they stop you from becoming a Christian? Is there a good way of, way of dealing with them? Are there implications if we ignore them? 
And is there any hope if you're someone that does struggle with doubt? Is there any hope of making them go away? Well, that's where we're going tonight. To start with, let me uh, just spend a little bit of time defining what I'm talking about, because we don't speak about doubt very often in Mosaic. You may think doubt is the opposite to faith, but it isn't. The opposite to faith is unbelief, and that's a very, very important distinction. So we've got this little diagram there, faith and unbelief hang at sort of either either end of a continuum. Faith is about trust. It's about confidence. I don't know if you were ever at school and you had a boring moment in a class and you would tip back from the four legs of your chair and you would tip back to relax, back onto your two legs. What you're doing there is putting your whole weight, your confidence into those two legs to hopefully hold you up. That's what it is to put your faith in something. You're applying weight to something. You're putting confidence in it. The opposite, according to the Bible, is unbelief. And unbelief is more of a deliberate decision to be anti-God or to refuse to believe in him. Doubt, on the other hand, is to be indecisive or to be unsure and lack certainty. And so doubt is best understood as faith laden with weights of questions or worries or concerns or problems which threaten to sink us if we don't deal with them. And that is why you can have very strong faith, but still have doubt. So listen, in the scriptures, from what we know, when the Jewish leaders who opposed Jesus were uh, were described as unbelievers, Jesus was pretty harsh with them. But for those in either the crowds that he met or the disciples that hung out with him, that had doubts, such as the man in Mark 9, 24, who said, I believe, help me in my unbelief, Jesus encouraged those doubters gently. And that's encouraging uh, tonight if you're here as someone seeking God. Perhaps you're on our intro course at the moment. And you are wanting to find out more about God, but you look and you see, I've got doubt after doubt after doubt. You need to know tonight that you can still come to Jesus. You can still have faith in him. And the point is you don't wait till all your doubts are gone. Because doubt is not sort of the opposite to faith. Both those things can go together. However, if you're a Christian here and you do have doubts and it is left unchecked, you don't spend time looking at it, perhaps it's a little bit unchallenged, then I guess I want to warn you tonight. I want to warn you because there seems to be a bit of a progression in Scripture. Just take John 6. Jesus is teaching to the crowds and they're amazed yet confused over his teaching. And he's declaring to them that he's their Messiah. He's saying confusing things like, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. And the crowd as they listen are struggling to understand because this is Joseph's boy. This is Jesus. We know who he is. And so in John 60, verse 60, on hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching, who can accept it? They're saying, Jesus, this is tough to get our heads around. Verse 61, aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? And in verse 66, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. See, what's happened there has been a bit of a journey. There was faith in that they wanted to hear from Jesus. There was doubt because what he said was difficult. That doubt turned to grumbling and questioning. And then by the end of what he had said, it turned to them walking away from Jesus in unbelief. However, 
Jesus then turns to his disciples and he says uh, in verse 67, you do not want to leave me too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. You see, doubt unchecked. Imagine those weights surrounding faith and dragging it down eventually can get terminal and lead to unbelief and the disciples leaving Jesus. Yet notice the disciples, the 12, were able to overcome these doubts and actually they left strengthened by this episode. We believe and know that you're the Holy One of God. So same incident, two very different responses. One response led to unbelief and the other to faith. What do we learn? Well, how you deal with your doubts has a tremendous impact on your faith. And so we're going to spend the rest of our time looking at four ways you can stop that move from doubt to unbelief. And then at the end, we're going to look at two ways you can use doubt to ultimately strengthen your faith. So four things. Number one, don't rely too much on your feelings. This is such a common mistake. People exploring Christianity or even as they mature as Christians have a faith that is built on feelings. And I tell you, our services, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with it, but our services can be very emotive. And some of you here have a faith that is built on your emotions. And I just want to warn you, that is not a good place to be. Some of you have come to Christ with this euphoric feeling of knowing God or experiencing his joy or knowing his peace for the first time. And as those things have faded, there has been a huge drop off. And you've suddenly left yourself questioning whether or not you truly believe in God, questioning whether what happened to you was real or not, because the feelings are no longer there. You have misunderstood totally the role of emotions and faith. You see, faith is fundamentally not a feeling. It's a decision. It's a decision of the will to follow Jesus Christ that doesn't ebb or flow depending on how you feel emotionally. It's a decision of the will to follow Jesus. However, what is wonderful is you trust in Jesus and as you give him your life, feelings often do accompany that relationship with him. God loves to reveal how he feels about us. Romans 5 verse 5, and hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. There's peace, there's joy, there is love in our relationship with God, because it's a relationship. So listen, Christianity without feelings, that doesn't exist. But at the same time, Christianity based on emotions can bring doubt. Ideally, every time you are looking for faith. So don't rely too much on your feelings. Secondly, don't build a weak foundation. Doubt often develops in our minds because we don't know why we believe what we believe. So, for example, you might be on intro at the moment. That's our course looking at sort of the basic elements of the Christian faith. And you might be loving it. It might be that you're actually at the point where you're saying, what these Christians are saying are true. What I'm reading in the Bible seems to be true. This man, Jesus, did exist. He did die for my sins and then raise again three days later. I think I believe that. And you might even be brave enough to share that journey with someone you trust maybe someone at work, someone at uni, and you say to them, I'm going to this intro course, it's a bit random, there's great food, but I think I am becoming a Christian. And they say to you, you, you're kidding me. 
You say, no, I, I'm believing that the Bible's true. And they say, the Bible? Are you kidding me? The Bible, the Bible, I mean, it's full of mistakes. Full of mistakes. How can you trust your life on what it says? And you say, well, I, I, I just believe in it. And it's in those moments that doubt, the seed of doubt can be sown. Because you don't really have an answer. You know that you're believing, but you don't know why you're believing. And probably more than that, you don't really know what you're believing in yet. And doubt has a massive opportunity to get hold of you and undermine your faith. There is a weak foundation. You know, it's been said that Christians should believe simply. That is, just have the faith of a child. And I believe in that. But they shouldn't just simply believe. Because the chances are that someone, somewhere, sometime, is going to challenge your faith. And not knowing why or what you believe makes you very vulnerable to doubts. And I totally get it. It comes with time. You will not know everything all at the same time, right at the start. There's a journey to be had. But listen, I want to encourage you. You need to drive your doubts into the ground. So if there is a big area of the Christian life as you are getting into it that you think, I just that is like a big deal for me. The character of God, I do not understand that. Then drive it into the ground. Like, ask people. Find out about it. Do some reading. Get your Bible out. Spend some time with someone that's mature than you that can help you. Build a strong foundation that can stand up when the doubts come. Thirdly, this is massive, guys. This is a massive deal. If you want to make sure you don't end up in unbelief, you need to acknowledge your hurt, your pain and your disappointment. Speaking personally, this is the one that's impacted my family the most in, when it comes to doubt. So uh, a number of years ago, we were pastoring a church similar to this, very young church, and for probably about three years, we had number, a number of people within our church family die tragically in car accidents. And we suddenly found that we had uh, a family who were mourning uh, in an intense way. And so we very much, in leading the church, really wanted to give ourselves to pastoring people. But we got to the end of that three-year period, suddenly realizing that we had not allowed ourselves to deal with the hurt and pain that we were feeling towards God. And so it meant that we were in a position where uh, my wife, Philippa, described it like this, uh, and not irreverently at all, but it was, it, was, uh, it was the only way she could just describe it to me. But she said, you know, if you have a, like a family pet who you've had for years, who you have loved, and the pet has loved you back, and consistently over that time, all that there has been is love, and then suddenly that pet turns on you and bites you viciously, said, that's how it feels in my relationship with God. I feel like it's all been good. And then suddenly this has happened and it has made me question the goodness of God. And we knew that at the end of that three-year period in all these struggles and doubts, that if we did not address the pain in the heart of it, then our unbelief would become terminal. And we don't know if we would recover. And listen, all of us have got stuff like that. All of, us, all of us in our stories, whether it's in our past or our present, have got things that have happened to us that have a massive impact on our doubts. And probably the most common thing is, is rejection. 
all of us have experienced rejection in our life and we can end up spending our time backing off from God, thinking simply, if I put my heart out there and really love God, all that will happen will be just the same as every other relationship. He will reject me. And so in the room tonight, there are many of us struggling with trust issues. We just don't trust God. We don't trust him because we've never had anyone we could trust in that way. Listen, we must acknowledge the pain from our past and be very careful that we, the Bible calls it hardening of the heart. When we have issues that perhaps are our issues, stuff that we have done wrong, we can get into a position where we do not any longer want anything to do with God. We've hardened ourselves to him. St. Augustine, a theologian, said this, it is often the case that a person who experienced a bad doctor is then afraid to trust even a good one. And it's easy to simply reject everyone if you've been rejected or hurt. But I tell you, it's common sense. All of us know that that is not the answer. That is not the solution if you've been hurt. The solution is to check the reputation and the trustworthiness of all future doctors. And in God, we have one that can be fully trusted to heal and restore us. And then fourthly, a great way to make sure you don't end up in unbelief is pretty obvious, really, but it's decide to become a Christian. Finally, doubts can run rampant when you've never committed your life to Christ in the first place. In other words, you have doubts about your relationship with God simply because you do not have a relationship with God. You're not in the room yet. You're not in the room yet. And you're doubting what it feels like to be in the room and you've just not stepped in that door yet, through that door yet. You've not made that conscious decision of the will to put all the weight of your hope in the person of Jesus Christ. And for some of you, that's what you need to do. That's the step that is needed. What is holding you back from going that way? What's holding you back? Take that step. So listen, four ways to avoid moving from faith to unbelief. Number one, don't rely too much on your feelings. Number two, don't build weak foundations. Three, acknowledge the hurt and pain and disappointment in your life and decide to become a Christian. Listen, if you just refuse to, to do those things, then you could end up in a place of unbelief and that's not a good place to be before God. God says that it's only with faith that we can please him. We must find a way to change our doubts so that they strengthen our faith. You see, doubt actually does have its uses. Deep doubt is often a prelude to even deeper faith. I love the way Frederick Buchner expresses it. He says this, this is a great quote. He says, doubt are the ants in the pants of faith. They keep it awake and they keep it moving. There's a great visual image there of doubts rummaging around down there. And, uh, okay, probably not a great image. Uh, he's American, think of trousers. Let's go there. Um, and the point of doubt is that it should stir us to action. It should make us ask the questions. It shouldn't be just buried, but they're to be brought out into the open and used to strengthen our faith. And listen, honest doubts, once resolved, often become the bedrock of an unshakable faith. 
happens time and time again. So I'm going to give you two ways to move from doubt to faith. And if you're someone that really struggles with doubt, I hope you find this helpful. It's not profound. It's not profound. It's, it's just stuff you need to do. Number one, focus on the work of Jesus in the Bible. In Luke 7, John the Baptist is in prison and he is having doubts about the identity of Jesus. Verse 19 says, And summoning two of his disciples, John sent them to the Lord saying, Are you the expected one or do we look for someone else? So look at this. John the Baptist, he's the standout guy of the Gospels. He was the one who baptizes Jesus. He's the one that says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And he has got doubts. He's not sure. He doesn't know whether Jesus is the Messiah. And so he sends some trusted men to find out. And what's fascinating is when those men come to him, Jesus doesn't condemn John. He says this. He says, go and report to John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor of the gospel preach to them. He could have said anything at this point. But instead, he wants John to take a good look at his life, his works, and the freedom that he brings. And the way that we deal with our doubts is to look again at the person of Jesus and all that he achieves on the cross. You see, when you have questions and concerns, you must move to a solid or safe place that is beyond yourself. And the cross of Christ is that place. Because your salvation is not based on you. You do not earn your salvation. Your salvation is dependent on Jesus' work at the cross. It's at the cross that he deals with the separation that we experience between us and God because of sin. It's at the cross that he takes the punishment that we deserve for our rebellion and destroys the power of it. And what he does at the cross enables us to receive the free gift of eternal life. We do not earn it, we just accept it through repentance and faith. And listen, I know that sounds far too simplistic to deal with your doubts. I totally understand that some of you may not be feeling very helped at this point. And I do not mean to be trying to offer a quick fix to your situation, something that just zaps it and solves it in a moment. But listen, this is what I do believe. I believe that right now I may have more hope than some of you that in due time God's truth will be powerful in your life and change you in the long run. You see, the Bible says this in Romans 10 verse 17. Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word of Christ. That means in the middle of your doubt, just by hearing about Jesus' work of, on the cross in the Bible, faith can grow. Faith can multiply. I do not understand how God does it like that, but he does. Faith comes by hearing the good news about Jesus and his death on the cross and his resurrection in the Bible. And in the moments leading up to that change where you go from not seeing or feeling anything about Christ to suddenly seeing and feeling the reality of what he has done 
can feel very empty and futile. In those moments leading up to that point in which you are given the gift of faith and God somehow puts faith in your hearts, can often fill your darkest moments. And if you doubt what I'm saying to you right now, if you doubt the effectiveness of the cross to deal with your doubts, then you are the very, very person that needs to hear this. Because God can change that situation in a moment as we meditate on all that Christ has achieved for us at the cross. The Bible says this, Romans 10, 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone. You can call out to him now. You can call to him and he will not disappoint you. You know, if you imagine you're at sea on a ship and there is a storm and the boat is being rocked everywhere, you're, 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 you're drifting dangerously, what do you do? You get out your anchor. You take something that is solid and secure and you throw it over the boat and that anchor drips down, drops down and hits the seabed and it drags until it hits something hard and solid and it attaches itself to it. And that means whatever the wind and whatever the waves does, that boat will not move. And that's what we need to do in our doubts. Come to the cross of Christ. It's our anchor. It's our rock. It's our safe place. It's the thing that gives us hope again. And as we listen to what Jesus has done, we're promised that faith comes. Faith comes. And for you, that some of you here, that is the place you need to go. Do not dismiss it as too simplistic. And secondly, and lastly, you need to know the assurance of the Holy Spirit. You see, when we become Christians, God's Holy Spirit fills you. Why does the Holy Spirit fill you? Well, there's two reasons. Number one, it's to transform you from within. He makes us more like Jesus. It's called the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit fills us again and again and again. And as the Holy Spirit fills us, then that fruit grows. We become more patient, more joyful, more forgiving, more interested in others. But secondly, the Holy Spirit also loves to bring an inner experience of God the Father. He creates a personal conviction in our hearts that we are loved as God's children. And somehow he communicates his love for us and our spirit responds. Something happens. God's spirit and our spirits meet. And the love of the Father is poured out. And we can't help but say, Father, Abba Father. You know, um, a friend of mine told me a story of a time where uh, a couple that he knows visited a Romanian orphanage. And this orphanage had hundreds of kids all of which didn't have parents. And what was very spooky about the place was that it was completely silent. So hundreds of kids all running around, either in their cots or beds, and it was completely silent. And so they asked the owner, what, you know, what's going on here? Why is this place completely silent? And he said, well, what happens is as the children come in, they cry out and they cry out and they cry out for their mums and dads. And when their mums and dads don't come, they realize that it's futile. And so they no longer cry out. And so this couple's hearts were absolutely like devastated, ripped apart, just as, as they heard what these kids had been through. And so 
there was one child in particular that they wanted to adopt and they did their best to be a mum and dad to this child. And they poured out love consistently over a couple of week period. And they said there was a wonderful moment as they left the building on the final day, they heard this little boy cry out, Father, Father, come back. You see, that boy had got an assurance of the father's love. Like something in his spirit had been touched by this wonderful mum and dad. And the Holy Spirit does that in our lives. He loves to reveal the love of the Father to us. And that combination of the Spirit changing us and making us more like Jesus, and the Spirit bringing this deep revelation of God's love to us, brings great assurance in our walk with him. We can look to those things. We can trust those things. Those things trump our doubts because we know it's something only he can do. And you, it, uh, after a while, it means that you can move to doubting your doubts, not your faith. Doubting your doubts, not your faith. In 1822, a young woman named Charlotte Elliott was visiting some friends in the West End of London, and there she met a noted minister called uh, Cesar Milan. And over tea, he asked her whether or not she was a Christian. And when she replied that she didn't want to talk about the subject, the minister replied, I didn't mean to offend you at all, but I want you to know that Jesus can save you if you turn to him. Several weeks later, they met again, and Miss Elliot said that she'd been trying to come to Christ but did not know how to do it. Just come to him as you are, Mr. Malan said. And taking the advice to heart, she composed a poem that began this way. Just as I am, without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. And that thou biddest me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. And in 1849, William Bradbury set those words to music. And since then, it's become one of the most beloved hymns of all time, just as I am. The third verse actually contains Charlotte Elliot's personal testimony. She says this, Just as I am, though tossed about with many a conflict, many a doubt, fighting and fears within, without, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. And the last verse contains the gospel promise, Just as I am, thou wilt receive, wilt welcome, pardon, cleanse, relieve, because thy promise I believe, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. And that is a promise that God makes to you and to me. God never turns an honest doubter away, never. And my plea to you is to come to him with your doubts. Come to him with your scepticism. Come to him with your hard questions. Come to him with your uncertainties. He welcomes your hardest questions doubt is not a sin but what you do with your doubt is absolutely vital to whether or not you will end up in a place of faith or a place of unbelief do not let your doubts keep you from jesus come to him just as you are just as you are and bring your doubts with you too he will not turn away from you.
pray. You can have the band back as well. Do you want to just uh, stand with me? And I'd like to pray for us. In a moment, we are going to get to respond together by taking communion. And it will be a wonderful way to focus on the cross of Christ. Um, But let me give you a moment to respond to what you sense God has been speaking to you. Holy Spirit, thank you so much that you're here with us now. And um, we want to open our hearts and minds to you now. And it might be, it's even helpful for you. You might never ever ever have done this before, but you might just want to hold your hands out in front of you. Just physically, there's nothing special in doing that. It's just physically, it just demonstrates you're open on the inside. And for some of you, that might be an important step tonight. As we wait for you, Holy Spirit, I ask that you be with those, especially here tonight, that would say, I walked into this room not a Christian. Lord, you say we need to repent and believe. Repentance is laying everything down. It's surrendering. It's giving up our rights. It's giving up our, uh, us being in charge of our lives. And it's letting Jesus be in control. Belief is rocking back on that chair and putting our full trust and weight into the person of Jesus and what he has achieved to set you free and bring you back to God. And I pray, God, people would repent and believe tonight. And for the rest of us, Lord, help us. Help us, Lord. We pray that we would be those that do not ignore our doubts, but we use them to strengthen our faith in you. Let there be a revelation of the cross of Jesus tonight. And let there be a huge sense of assurance from the Holy Spirit as he reveals the love of the Father to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.